Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Cole, and I will be your host for today's podcast. I am the founder and CEO of Secure Anchor Consulting, a company that is focused on building out effective security roadmaps that actually work to protect an organization. Today, I'll be speaking to Ben Jacob, technical lead at SecureWorks. Today, we'll be looking at social engineering attack life cycles. Ben, welcome to the show. And can you just give a quick background of your experience to the audience to set the stage? Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show. So SecureWorks is a managed security service provider that uses our Tages threat detection platform to protect our customers. My role in SecureWorks is within our penetration testing team that we call SecureWorks Adversary Group. Uh, so SecureWorks Adversary Group is a team of over 80 ethical hackers that perform penetration testing engagement on a weekly basis. This means that every year we deliver over 1,500 engagements that give us the ability to have a really good understanding of the attack techniques that work against organizations in various business verticals and in different geographical locations. The beautiful thing about having a fairly large team of ethical hackers is that our team has a broad spectrum of expertise. So when we bump into a really unusual or complex environment and we need to some help in creating custom tooling to achieve our objectives, we always have someone with some niche expertise that can assist and ensure we provide high quality engagements for all of our customers. Another of the core missions of our adversary group is to collaborate with other internal departments. So for example, we often assist our incident response team to perform threat remediation. After a breach, our adversary group will reproduce the same attack techniques used by the threat actor to ensure that the victim organization has successfully remediated the issues discovered by incident response. We are also heavily involved with our counter threat units and work together to ensure that our TAGIS threat detection platform can leverage intelligence from an adversary group and with this intelligence, develop detectors to identify malicious threat actors. That's a great background. And and just to sort of get everyone on the same page, we have done a couple of podcasts with SecureWorks So we've covered ransomware economics, XDR in a hybrid world, and now I'm super excited because we're looking at social engineering, which is one of those areas and terms that used to get a lot of attention, and then it sort of fell off the radar. But to me, it's a very, very important topic, so I'm glad we're going to spend some time talking about it today. But when we're talking about social engineering attacks, we're really looking at a bigger picture. So can you talk a little bit about the social engineering attack lifecycle, sort of the big picture, and what are those different pieces and how it all fits together? Yes, of course. Uh, So let me quickly explain what social engineering is. Uh, Social engineering is basically an attempt to trick someone into revealing sensitive information. And the lifecycle of social engineering attacks typically consists in four stages. There's reconnaissance, hook, play, and exit. So let's go through these four stages. The first stage is a reconnaissance that requires for an attacker to identify who are their victims and how can they be contacted. To get all of this information, the attacker will typically perform open source information gathering, also known as OSINT. 
Typically, attackers are looking for email addresses uh, or phone numbers. However, depending on the type of attack, the reconnaissance stage can go a lot further by selecting specific individuals and searching through their social media accounts, for example, or even trying to locate their home address. The second stage, the hook phase, consists in creating a pretext to make the victim perform a specific action. This can be luring the victim into clicking a link in an email and submitting credentials into a fake portal, or it can be luring the victim to execute a malicious document leading to a system compromise. Once the attacker has gained valid credentials or gained access to a workstation, then the play phase is triggered. The attacker will use their access to steal sensitive data, perform lateral movement, and eventually reach their objectives. Once the objectives have been achieved, the attacker may want to delete any interaction they had with their victim to avoid the breach ever being discovered. So for example, uh, this may involve deleting emails exchanged with the attackers from the victim's inbox to ensure that they are not accessible if the victim becomes suspicious after being lured into a phishing campaign. So essentially, that, that is really the textbook uh, anatomy of a social engineering attack. However, the, the vast majority of time, not all four stages will be performed. It really depends on the maturity of the attacker and the goal that they have in mind. Some attackers may be fetching far and wide and only interested into harvesting credentials by sending millions of emails. Other attackers may be more interesting, interested in focusing on specific employees within an organization, like a CEO, for example or an IT administrator that has access to a particular system of interest. Uh, finally, the, the, the play phase, some attackers may be using a smash and grab technique by harvesting the most information they can of a compromised environment within a short time frame. Whilst other attackers, more advanced, uh, would prefer to lay low for a few months, sometimes even years before beginning their internal attacks. That's great. And now we've covered those four stages. As we know, social engineering relies on human error versus software and operating system vulnerabilities. So as we delve more into this topic, let's go through a couple of the core technologies that are in this family. So can you talk about, define and explain sort of phishing, vishing, spear phishing, and the impact industries have on these different social engineering attacks? Yeah, the ishing family can, can be a little bit confusing at first. So let me okay. explain the most common social engineering attacks. Uh, far and wide, the most common type of social engineering attacks are sent via emails. And these are called phishing and spare phishing. The core difference between these two attack techniques is phishing target a large list of users, while spare phishing only target specific individuals. So let's take some example here, how SecureWorks Adversary Group perform phishing and, and spare phishing engagements. For phishing attacks, we are generally targeting dozens or maybe hundreds of employees in one campaign. Therefore, the, the pretext can be tailored to an organization, but it has to be kept general to be relevant to the maximum amount of employees. For example, a, a pretext that we like to use uh, will be that in a phishing campaign, that the organization is moving to a new Office 365 tenant. And as a result, employees have to click a malicious link and authenticate with their Office 365 credentials to migrate their inbox. So that's a very general pretext, but we have a lot of success with it. For spare phishing, we build these attacks to focus on specific individuals. These individuals are chosen depending on their roles and 
the access they may have. For example, one type of individual that we love targeting are the talent acquisition specialists. Due to the nature of their job, these people expect to be contacted by external job applicants. And a great pretext consists of saying, hi, recruiter, I'm applying for a job I saw on your portal. I tried to upload my resume, but the portal is throwing an error. Could you please forward my resume to the hiring manager? And using that pretext, we can send a CV with a malicious macro directly to the recruiter, and once they open it, execute the macro, this gives us access to their workstation. The third most common social engineering technique is called vishing. And this time, the attacker will call his victim instead of emailing them. Like all social engineering attacks, the objective is still to make the victim reveal sensitive information or perform a set of action. So vishing is not as common as phishing or spare phishing because it's a lot more resource intensive due to a call having to be made for each single target. However, it can be highly successful, especially when a trust relationship has been built with a victim. Within SecureWorks Adversary Group, one scenario we like to use in phishing attacks is to impersonate the IT service desk of the organization we are targeting. Uh, nowadays, a lot of employees are working remotely. And, and funny enough, uh, employees working from home will often encounter some high latency because they are working through a VPN or because their broadband is just unreliable. But either way, they are always blaming their IT equipment. So one of the pretexts we love using is calling remote users and saying, hello, this is Ben from IT. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of connection drop coming from your computer. And I just want to double check if you are able to access your network share correctly. At this point, the victim will probably complain about a bunch of different issues they may have. It may be related to slow speed, old IT equipment, or just have a moan about their password complexity. But once we have listened to the issues, a trust relationship is established between our victim and they are now expecting us to come with a solution. Well, we can offer to fix all of these issues with our workstation if they update their system by executing our malicious file, for example. What's also interesting here is during vishing attack, we have the ability to spoof phone numbers. As a result, we can spoof the telephone number of the IT service desk, which means that the victim will get a call from a number that may be pre-registered on their phone, and it will show up as IT service desk. And this really helps make the pretest a lot more believable, because the phone number uh, will be known by the victim. So now that we discussed individual pretext for phishing, spare phishing, and vishing, I have to say that within SecureWorks Adversary Group, we find that combining or chaining social engineering attacks lead to a much higher rate of success. This means that when we send a phishing email, let's follow up with a phone call. So this time, the employee receives a phishing email, letting them know that their inbox will be migrated to a different O365 tenant. And if they don't click the, the link, the next day, a friendly IT support person will just call them to remind them about this action. By contacting the victim by, through both phone and email over successive days makes the pretext a lot more tangible. We can even build up on that technique and include network attacks. In this scenario, we lock up our victim O365 account by submitting too many wrong passwords, perform that attack several times over a couple of days, and then we call our victim, pretending to be the IT service desk, explaining that their O365 account is corrupt and that they might have experienced some type of issues when logging in in the past few days. 
obviously the victim is going to confirm that they weren't able to log in. Their account might have been locked up, locked out. Uh, and we'd offer them to resynchronize their account uh, and as part of this process, ask them for their password. Again, by combining multiple attack techniques, it really helps with the success rate of social engineering attacks. So, so far, the pretexts I've mentioned have been pretty generic and they do work well. However, depending on the threat actor we try to simulate, we can also increase the sophistication of the pretext. So for example, during red team operation, we I often create my phishing pretext based on open source intelligence. I will research the latest news article mentioning the organization I'm targeting. They might have made uh, a new acquisition, created a new project, or even sponsoring an upcoming event like a football match, for example. Based on this intelligence, I can write a tailored pretext. For example, it can be that um, we can offer tickets to the football events for the first 10 people clicking on a malicious link. But inevitably, having a sophisticated pretext does help improve the success rate of social engineering attack. But in my experience, combining several attacks like phishing and vishing together is typically the best approach for ultimate compromise. Now, those are some great examples. And you've talked a lot about like email. You even mentioned a little bit about phone calls. But another area that we're seeing a lot more people use and attackers move into is social media. Can you talk a little bit about these threats against the various social media platforms? That's right, Eric. Uh, social media is a goldmine for attackers. Uh, within SecureX Adversary Group, most of our engagements involve spending some time on social media. Uh, and that time is not spent watching cat videos, right? Or, or at least not all of it. Uh, but there is a, lot, a ton of information hosted on social media. Last at look, Facebook had 2.8 billion active users. So their user base is huge, right? It's nearly half of the population on the planet. But why would an attacker be interested in social media? So let's start with Facebook. If we browse to a user profile, we can get a lot of details about a user's life. What are their pastime? Who are their family members? Where do they go on holidays? And a lot of other personal information. And this data can be used by an attacker to create a phishing campaign, for example, and ensure the pretext, the pretext ties in nicely with the victim's hobbies, for example. But, but this data can also be leveraged for other attack techniques. In SecureWorks Adversary Group, where we perform an external pen test, we sometimes find password reset portal requiring users to submit answers to security questions in order to reset their password. In this situation, we actively try to locate a few employees' social media profile and figure out if we could guess the answer to their security questions. So to give you an example from the field on a recent engagement, we discovered a password reset portal and identified the security question from a user account. The user had two security questions. What's your favorite superhero? And what's your mother maiden name? We were able to find the name of the superhero on the user's Facebook profile, whilst finding the mother maiden name in obituary records. And yes, I mean, this took several hours of research. But using that information, we could reset the employee's password and use their credentials to authenticate to a portal hosting customer PII data. So Facebook is a great tool for adversary. But there's another social network platform that we use in every single engagement. That is a social network platform for professional named LinkedIn. LinkedIn is so useful for an attacker that I could 
probably might make an entire podcast about this, but I just want to stick a few attack techniques related to the social engineering theme. So when a user like you or me uh, register their LinkedIn profile, we thinking we begin by filling up our name and select the organization we are currently working for. And boom, we are now an employee assigned to the LinkedIn group of that organization. What's interesting here is that there is no authentication mechanism to validate that any of the information that we have entered is correct. We can choose any name we want, give ourselves a job title, and choose to work for any company in the world. Basically, within a couple of clicks, I can become an executive director working for Microsoft, or I can become a rocket engineer working for SpaceX. Basically, all of my career dreams can be fulfilled within just a few clicks. There is no university degrees required here. So during our adversary simulation, we tend to use LinkedIn at this different stage of our kill chain. The first stage is to discover all employees working for the organization we are targeting. We scrap the LinkedIn group of the organization, find the first name and last name of all employees, and output that into a file. The vast majority of time, organizations have a standard format for their username schema, such as first name dot last name. So by scrapping the LinkedIn group, we now have access to hundreds, sometimes thousands of potential usernames of the organization we are targeting. Using that data, we can perform a password spray against external portal, such as Office 365, for example. We can test if all the users we scrap from LinkedIn can authenticate to the organization we are targeting using weak passwords, such as winter 2022 or welcome 2022, exclamation mark. And but if it or not, uh, it is extremely common to find accounts using weak and guessable passwords, specifically when targeting large organizations that have thousands of user accounts. However, nowadays, most organizations with a decent cybersecurity posture enforce multi-factor authentication. So finding a user password is not enough to authenticate. We also need to, for the user to either submit a one-time token or get the victim to accept a push notification. Push notifications are, are the most user-friendly, but in my view, are also the most easy to bypass. Typically, when we have compromised uh, user credentials, we will wait until 9 a.m., their local time, and send a few push notifications. The victim is probably starting their working day and expect to be receiving some push notification to authenticate against their applications. If the victim doesn't accept the first push notification, well, let's send a few more, two, three, four, five push notifications, and our victim often thinks that it's a bug and just end up accepting the request just to stop the flood of notification. So that's a really simple technique to bypass uh, multi-factor authentication via push notification. On the other hand, um, you know, one-time token require some communication with our victim. And that's where we can leverage social engineering techniques via LinkedIn to find the phone numbers of specific employees. What, what I like to do is to use a fake profile. A few years ago, I created a fake LinkedIn profile and started connecting with people. Today, my fake profile named Megan has over 2,000 connections. So she looks so legit that she's actually better connected than my real LinkedIn profile. To build my pretext, I like to be doing, to start, I start by doing a little bit of OSINT to find who are the competitors of the organization I'm targeting. Then I will assign Megan to the LinkedIn group of a competitor and give her a job title, such as talent acquisition specialist. 
And again, all of this is very easy. Anyone can do this within a few clicks. So now that we are impersonating a talent acquisition specialist from a competitor, I will contact the victims, the ones that I have valid credentials for, and try to get their phone number. So the type of pretext I like to use is to contact my victim, say that I've got an open position for them, an exciting role offering above market rate, and I ask their phone number to set up a meeting. And this is generally a successful pretext. People will often forward their CV and phone number if the position and pay package is interesting. So once we get hold of the telephone number of my victim, uh, we can call them with a different pretext. And one of the pretexts can be, hello, this is Ben from IT. Uh, we are seeing some synchronization issue with your account. I need to resynchronize it. I'm going to send you a one-time token. Please let me know the six digits, and I will complete the synchronization process. Again, here, the victim doesn't know that their credentials have been already compromised. So once they disclose the one-time token, this allows the attacker to get full authenticated access to their victim account. And that's why employees need to remain vigilant when on social media, because the information they leak may be used directly or indirectly in order to breach their corporate account. Now that we've laid out sort of the problem, we understand the challenges with social engineering, the different types across email and, and social media, L let's sort of wrap up our podcast by looking at the solutions. So what are some things organizations can do to get a better handle on not only identifying these threats, but then what can they do to offer from a training and education standpoint to help mitigate, prevent, minimize, or stop these threats to the organization? Sure. Uh, so when an organization performs a security engagement focused on, on social engineering, it's always important to understand what they are trying to assess. Are, are they trying to assess the effectiveness of their security solution to spot social engineering attacks? Or are they trying to identify how their users would respond to these attacks. And sometimes it can be both. So security solutions like spam filter have the last couple of years really up their game. And if you ask any red teamer you know, they will tell you how incredibly difficult it is for their phishing email to land into a victim's inbox. Anti-spam solution will often flag on several activities, including if the domain has been purchased recently, if the categorization of the domain is not allowed by the company, or if the domain is has been uh, associated with malicious activity. And these are just a few. There are many other detectors that really do a good job at stopping phishing campaign. However, when, when I think about cybersecurity, I like to think of it as an onion. And it's not because I'm French, but it's because an onion has many layers. An onion is safe to handle with a skin on, but as soon as you start unpeeling the skin and then removing each and every layer, there's high probability that at some point someone is going to start crying. So testing the different layers really help in identifying what a threat actor could do under certain circumstances. So for example, let's say that I'm sending a phishing campaign against your organization. The campaign has been detected by your spam filter and sent straight to junk. Bravo. The next step should not be to call it a day and congratulate the anti-spam solution. The next step should be to whitelist the pen tester mail server to ensure phishing emails land in your employee's inbox. Now you can test a second layer. Would any employees be duped by the campaign? And then we can start going down through every layer. If someone was duped by the phishing campaign, what can an attacker do with valid credentials? Has multi-factor authentication been enforced on all external assets? And then move to the next layer. What can an attacker do with valid credential plus a MFA token? 
can they connect to a SSL VPN? Can they get access to that internal network? And if they can, brilliant, let's go down that route. What can attacker do with valid credential plus a connection to the internal network? We call this an assumed bridge. Are they able to elevate privileges? Are they able to reach crown jewels that are critical to your organizations? So testing all these different layers is really key to a good cybersecurity hygiene. And it is important to always consider that one day, the organization you work for will be breached. It happens all the time. Sometimes the breach has been detected as an early stage, but other times the adversary has been sitting there for months, if not years. So ensuring you continually perform security testing to remediate issues before they are found by the bad guys is important. But it's also important to have some type of detection and response solution to spot unusual behavior. When an attacker is in your network performing lateral movement with valid credentials, it can be very difficult to detect. And that's where solutions like Tejis XDRs really shine at detecting unusual user behavior, like connections to workstations out of hours or connecting to workstation never accessed before by the user account. Thank you, Ben, for all your great insight on today's topic. And thank you to everyone who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head over to secureworks.com.